This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello, welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and I'm joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist Thomas. Hi Thomas, how's it going? Yeah, good day Adam. How are we? Yeah, going very well, thank you. Uh, look, as always we love getting your questions and comments. You can email us cve at equitymates.com or hit up the website equitymates.com forward slash cve. And Thomas, today you're telling me Dr. Doom says to buy commodities. Well, firstly, I'm not taking any buy recommendations from someone called Dr. Doom. <laughs> Secondly, who is he? <laughs> is he is he by any chance one half of the mid 2000s collaboration between Danger Doom, uh, called Danger Doom, sorry, between MC MF Doom and producer Danger Mouse, the mouse in the mask? You might remember. Uh, no, I don't know. No, is that, a, is that a rock band? Was it? No, it was like a electronic sort of. It was very good. The mouse and the, if you haven't heard it, go and do yourself a favour. Mm. It's called the mouse and the mask. MF Doom, uh, Danger Mouse went on to to do stuff with CeeLo, uh, oh, oh, with uh, called Nails Barkley, and then they had some massive songs. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nails yeah, Barkley. Yeah, yeah. I won't sing them anyway. Oh. But uh, I'm really hoping it's not that guy, the MF Doom, because he had some he had some good raps. Yeah. So if it's <laughs> if he's telling me to buy commodities and. <laughs> I'm just not sure what to make of it. I don't know what to do with the world. That's 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 what happens as you get older. All your heroes just start telling you to buy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they go from being countercultural rebels to product placement specialists. <laughs> um, Mick Jack is just a share broker somewhere. <laughs> he's selling some stonks. He's he's spruiking. He's spruiking. Yeah, he's a mortgage broker, I think, in Sussex. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, who's Dr. Doom and why is he telling me to buy commodities? Yeah, no, so Dr. Doom is Nouriel Roubini. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's, he's, oh, he's back again, is he? Yeah. Oh, Roubini's up to his old tricks again. He is actually up to his old tricks. This is, this is classic <laughs> Roubini. Um, yeah, no, he's Dr. Doom. He's called Dr. Doom, one, because he's pretty bearish by nature and he doesn't mind uh, throwing out a few bear punches right. you know, in the woods. And he he predicted the global financial crisis, I think. He's one of the... Ah, they're one of these guys. One, you, you predict one global financial mm-hmm. crisis and then everyone comes back to you for every economic insight ever. Like the, the, guys, the guy who predicted... Um, Ah, what was it? The the housing thing in the US, the uh, subprime crisis. Subprime crisis. Mm. Yeah, 
He, he gets dragged out all the time now. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you pick these turning points, you do pretty good. But, I mean, he's got runs on the board. As an economist, he's got runs on the board. He's pretty widely respected. I haven't heard of him since MF Doom. He's <laughs> <laughs> working on some side projects. <laughs> still chasing still chasing those uh, those dizzying heights again. Yeah. No, so yeah, that that's that's Doctor Doom. So he's he's a bit of a bear, but so he's out he's out this time. Basically basically he's saying we should be worried about stagflation. That stagflation. Stagflation. Is mm. That's not a word. Yeah, it is. Yeah, stagflation. Yeah. What is that? Like a really bad Bucks night? Doctor yeah. Doom's not, not having fun on the <laughs> What is stagflation? So st- stagflation is, a, is an economics term and it ta- it's talking about when you get rising inflation at the same time as a recession or as, as falling economic growth. So, t- so typically, n- normally we think about inflation as being a byproduct of economic growth. So when the economy is running hot, um, mm. you get inflation. That's one of the consequences. There's all this money chasing goods and things heat up and prices start to rise. But it's not always the case. And there are these periods in history every now and again where you get uh, rising prices at the same time as you get uh, a shock to a hit to output and a hit to demand and, and demand and uh, aggregate production that they start falling as well. So you can get a recession and high inflation. Right. The famous cases we get with this is the oil shocks in the 1970s, like 1973 and 79, where like one with a couple of wars sort of really shook the oil market so oil, oil prices spiked that spike fed through into inflation because everything uses oil and energy to produce stuff so that fed through into the prices so prices started to rise but it happened at a time where the economy was stalling and, and doing badly and that so we got a, we got a period of stagflation in the in the late 70s haven't really had one since no not oh, would you Mm-hmm. This is where all the, the stagflation predictors come out. They're like, it's going to mm-hmm. be far off now. Yeah, we, <laughs> any day now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And then I think this picks up for, we had a listener question on this a little while ago. I don't think we ever got mm. to. But yeah, so there's, in economics, we talk about two types of inflation. There's demand pull and cost push. So demand pull is when the economy is heating up and everyone's getting excited and they're spending more on things and that's and they're bidding the price of things up that's demand pull because it's just the activity that creates that cost push is when something happens on the supply side so like an oil shock and then that feeds through through your supply chains into the broader economy and creates inflation from a localized area into into everywhere um and that's cost push right Mm. okay um that was um mark who wrote in with that listener question by the way Constantly annoyed by the confusion surrounding the forces in our economy that create inflation and what forces actually lead to hyperinflation. Mm. Goes on, could you explain demand pull and supply push inflation? There you go. Mm. Tick. <laughs> <laughs> we live to give. All right, so Dr. Doom's talking stagflation. So why, why now? Why does he think that's coming? So is, this is coming from an article in Project Syndicate, which is an interesting online resource if people want to nerd out around economics and markets. Um, but yeah, he, he wrote an article for those guys and saying, today's context, we need to worry about a number of potential negative supply shocks, both as threats to potential growth and as possible factors driving up production costs. These include trade hurdles such as deglobalization and rising protectionism, post-pandemic supply bottlenecks, the deepening Sino-American Cold War, 
and the ensuing balkanization of global supply chains and reshoring of FDI flows from low-cost China to higher-cost locations. I understood some of those words. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, he probably does need to work on his writing there, reading that most of that is a bit... Yeah, if he wants to tap into that younger market, into that younger demographic, mm. kind of... It's just not enough to give yourself a moniker like Dr. Doom. you really got to... <laughs> I know, like part you of the call way yourself there. Dr. Doom. Does he call himself Dr. Doom or no. is that just what you call him? I don't think it's just me. He gets that. He gets that term a bit. But it's a kind of a cool nickname. Yeah, and you need you need to be pumping out some better, some more engaging content than that. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not. I'm just not buying in. Yeah. Well, I'll send him that feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Uh, but we, there's, there's, there's stuff that we're already seeing. So post-pandemic supply bottlenecks, we're seeing some of that, like say computer chips at the moment. Computer chips yeah. are hard to get for love or money right now. Uh, yeah. That's pushing up the prices. Computer chips feed into everything. And so that's feeding through into, into the price levels. And we are seeing some uh, inflation coming out of these supply bottlenecks. So that's one part of it. Deglobalization uh, mm. and rising protectionism. So... I think, yeah, there's really a feeling that, you know, particularly with, with America, that they let too much of their industry offshore to China and destinations like that. And so they're trying to bring that back. But in bringing that back, that means that they went there because they were lower cost destinations. They could access cheap labor. So mm-hmm. if they come back, that means that there is a sacrifice that has to be made, probably through higher labor costs that then feeds into your, into your price levels. So I mean, obviously, the the motivation for bringing that back is that strengthens your economy. You've got you, you start paying local people to do the work. That then they start spending that money in the economy. Um, but were they not sort of tuned into that when they shipped it off to begin with? Was it all just about getting the cheap labour to produce things cheaper? I think yeah. I think it, it was definitely all about that. I think companies tend to you know take a very company specific view of things. They're not thinking mm. about the the big picture like that in the sense it's like really about where can i where can, how can we get costs down but i think yep. i think that and i think the move to china you know in the 2000s up until you know up until relatively recently it was seen as a relatively low risk proposition china was joining the global economy why not want to access their, their cheap labor now it's much it's it's a much it's a very different political landscape and a very different political calculation because if you've got operations based in china maybe they're going to get shut down maybe your ip is going to get stolen by china or maybe there's more disruptions to the global trade network so which is what uh, coronavirus has given us i think a lot of companies are looking like oh, we're actually a bit exposed here we don't have control over our supply chains which which leaves us a bit vulnerable so i think there are, there's a few factors that are sort of causing a reassessment of how spread out the supply networks are my uh, as a side note my father-in-law is trying to buy a second-hand car at the moment mm. and prices are through the roof mm mm-hmm. Yeah, can't buy a second-hand car. Like he's going to pay more. He's looking at the same model car that I've got, which is like a just a mid-sized SUV thing. Um, same year and everything. Twenty seventeen. He's looking at paying like five grand more than I paid a year ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, obviously, you know, he hasn't. He's not going into it with the the nous and and negotiating <laughs> expertise that I I have. But <laughs> you know, cars, Adam. That's my oh, mate. I know cars. I got I got a free tow ball. <laughs> like I did actually get some money off my car because it was um turns out the last minute last, they mentioned it right at the end 
by the way, when your car was being shipped out here, there was some acid rain <laughs> and we can't give you warranty on the paint job. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I said, that's fine. <laughs> acid rain. I said, it's, it's totally fine. It's all clean. It's, all, it's good to go. Um, but there was some acid rain on the ship on the way over. <laughs> oh, my God. So, therefore, we just can't give you the warranty that goes with it. But take our word, it's in, it, you, you won't have any trouble. Wow. I said, well, your word's good enough for me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Used Car Dealer. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed very trustworthy, so we went with it. Um, but, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, oh, like, yeah. No, I mean, um, there's, there's pockets of, um, you know, price ex- prices exploding. I mean, try to get a tradie right now in a lot of places, it's... It's impossible. I need two. I need a. I need a plumber the other day, and I need an electrician. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. It's, yeah, it, it's you know, it's definitely true. The supply chains have been disrupted, mm. but the the question is, how long lasting are these these factors? And I think if you look at all of these factors; they're not going to stick around that long, or they they feed through, and then then we're kind of done. You know, like so. So imagine all the firms decide to that are basing their operations in China decide to relocate. Okay, so yeah. that happens; it pushes the cost up. But once it's done, then you kind of it's done. We talked about this a little bit, like when the when the ship got stuck in the Suez mm, Canal mm, mm. and prices went up. But you, you, there's no way you, you're like, well, they'll, they'll never get that ship out. <laughs> I guess this is just the new normal. <laughs> There's a big old ship stuck in the Suez Canal. I guess we can't use it anymore. You know, like that's not, it's not a, this is not a permanent change. This is just a, just a blip. But I, th- I think, I think what Dr. Doom is, is worrying about is saying like at, at, on one hand, you have massive demand pool things going on because we've got so much money printing, super cheap um, money's everywhere. Uh, you know, there's a tsunami of cash unleashed on the world. That's mm. happening at the same time as we have all these supply side disruptions. So that's gonna, you're potentially going to push prices up. But that's also not stagflation because you've got an economy running super hot then as well. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Conv- this is not Rubini's most convincing article to my mind. But yeah, he's a hack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did he get his doctorate from, Doctor Doom? <laughs> Back of a Wheaties box. Yeah. yeah, anyone's a doctor these days. I guess it's worth sort of talking about. It's interesting to note because the, the the inflation conversation is sort of taking another level. So there's people people are talking about inflation. It's recognised. It's on people's radar. Central banks are talking about it. Phil Lowe at the RBA, Jerome Powell at the Fed. They're noting that there's inflation in the system. They expect it to come. They expect it to be short lived, but they don't know for sure that it's going to be short lived. It may it may spiral around. And this is what can sort of happen. You get a spiral that happens. They call it a wage price spiral. There's different spirals. So the prices start rising and then workers go, hey, I need more money because everything costs more now. So then they, they, they increase their wages, which then pushes the prices up. And so prices mm. rise further and then workers go, hang on, I need more money again because I'm not getting enough. And then you get a spiral. So it can, kind of, it can create these reinforcing dynamics um, that can push, that can create inflation in your economy and, and that can... In the worst case scenario, inflation gets away from you and gets out of control. And then, yeah, then you can sort of get into the end of the spectrum again to hyperinflation. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. Like, I've never really thought about that whole. And this is why I'm not in charge of the economy, obviously. But trying to balance out, you know, you pay the workers more and then the cost of things go up. And so the cost of things go, it's kind of catch 22, really. Mm, mm, mm. 
yeah yeah it goes around and around and that's that's sort of the danger and that so we talk about like anchoring inflation expectations and this is one thing that the rba pays a lot of attention attention to it's like where do people think prices are going to be because what people mm. expect is often what happens and it kind of through a self-fulfilling prophecies like if you're a, if you're a worker and right, you say i think prices are going to go up 10 percent if i think that then i need to my wages need to go up 10 percent otherwise i'm losing ground yeah and so those then the wages go up 10 percent, and then that then creates the 10 percent increase in prices that you're expecting so a lot of it swings on on what people think is going to happen yeah interesting all right let's uh, take a short break here. We'll grab a quick word from our sponsor this week. We'll be right back with more Comedian versus Economist just after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. And Thomas, we were talking about Dr. Doom and he said to buy commodities and then we didn't mention at all why he was talking about buying commodities. So mm. why, should, why is he saying we should buy commodities? Well, he's not. He never said that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, he's saying inflation's coming. I inferred that as an inflation hedge, you want to buy commodities. Commodities <gasps> typically work. You're Dr. Doom. <laughs> <laughs> It was me all along. <laughs> oh, what a twist. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Wow. Spoiler alert. Right, so he's not really saying buy commodities. That's just that's that's what people would be buying if you if you believe what he's saying, then mm. that is what would what you one would of the things like you'd be you yeah, do. buying. You'd be looking to hedge hedge against inflation. Mm. Mm. Uh and we did do a, an episode a few weeks ago on the commodities super cycle, mm. so Maybe not a bad time. Everything's everything to me, Thomas. Mm. All the indicators, all the flags are showing buy commodities. Mm, mm. Um, all of my my two my two indicators, which are Doctor Doom <laughs> and a fancy name called a super cycle. That's 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 enough for me to get green lights buy buy some uh, commodities. Yeah, you got a memory like a goldfish, though. Like we debunked the super cycle. That was the whole point of that <laughs> show. <laughs> That it was super hype, remember? <laughs> that was our conclusion. Well, all I remember is it had a cool name and it was about something I could buy. This is how I got into crypto in the first place. <laughs> cool. Um, mm. We do have a couple of listener questions that I want to get to this week. You can, of course, send us your email questions, comments, feedback, anything you like. Uh, CVE at equitymates.com 
or over on the website equitymates.com forward slash CBE. And Simon's written in. Simon says, hey guys, enjoying the show. Um, my landlord is starting to make some noises about putting the rent up. I know prices are rising, house prices presumably, but are rents rising too? Um, Thomas, I like to have first crack. Oh, yes, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if, if you wouldn't mind, just we'll, we'll wait for a sec there, fella. <laughs> um, Simon, no, rents aren't rising, uh, especially in the city. Occupancy rates are well down, is my information. So oh. uh, tell him to stick his rate increase in your leaking tap that he won't fix is what I say. Thomas, <laughs> thoughts? Uh, yes, is Simon, does Simon have a commercial tenancy in an office building in the CBD? Oh, details, details. I don't know. We don't ask these questions. Well, that's, that's the only context in which your comment is anywhere near uh, correct. Really? I yeah. thought, I, no, I thought rents were, were well down. I, I thought apartments especially. See, I think it depends, doesn't it? Like as apartments, uh, there's an oversupply of apartments, isn't there at the moment or oversupply? Yeah, de- definitely in terms of, yeah, inner, inner city apartments in Sydney and Melbourne, rents are falling. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. But I'm proven right. No, well, yeah, you no, right. it's a partial. We, we can edit it there, <laughs> Sasha. That's <laughs> super producer Sasha does a wonderful job for us. Um, I think there's nothing more we need to say about it. Yeah, we no, cut it at Thomas saying that I'm right. No, no, that's that's the, that's the unit market and in detached housing or in overall, we're actually price rents are growing 3.9% in total national. Um, or in the capital city. So that's after you include the, the falling unit markets in Sydney and Melbourne, prices, rental prices across the country are going 4%, which is the strongest uh, probably, in a, probably in a decade, I reckon. Um, yeah, so growing quite strongly. And if you go out to the, rent, to the regional areas, rents are growing 8.6% a year. Whoa. Yeah, they're going, they're going nuts. Going yeah, through wow. the roof. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's definitely going on. The rent, the rental market is getting more expensive. That's de- that's definitely seems to be happening. Apart from high rise apartments, um, which had largely been built to cater to to immigrants, um, and since immigration dried up, they've they've really struggled. Maybe talk to uh, some of the high rise owners and see if you could just rent a floor in their mm. unused office space. Yeah, yeah, in the office. So yeah, I mean, if you if you're up for living in a high rise apartment in the CBD, now's a good time to get a deal. Yeah, well. yeah, but I mean, yeah, they're talking but about. But generally speaking, they're 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 going up. Rents are going up. Yeah. Rents are going up, and the, and the thing thing to remember is that rents, rising house prices don't have any impact on rents. Really? Mm. Yeah. I would have thought they did. Mm-hmm. That's a common. It's a common misconception, but but it's not. Mm. It's not true. It the reverse is true though. So rising rents do affect house prices. Rents are set in the rental market, and so that depends on. It's a question of how much money do to the tenants have, and how how much rental stocks available. That's the that's the only thing that determines rental prices. Yeah, but if if rents are rising, then that's increasing the return on the property asset, and since the price of an asset is determined by its return, then rising rents means rising house prices. So this is another factor that's going to be driving house prices higher in the in the short term. Yeah, interesting. All right. Um, another question here from Megan. Megan? Mm-hmm. Megan? Um, hi, guys. I heard something about carbon leakage the other day, but now I can't find where. What is carbon leakage? Is it a problem for Australia? 
Whew, yeah. You've got me here, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> um, carbon leakage. I, I'm not across this, Thomas. Um, I can only assume that, I, I don't know, as we try and lock away carbon somehow in in wood, which is where I've heard that a lot of carbon is stored in, inside wood. Maybe it's it's leaking from furniture. So check your dining table. <laughs> <laughs> How we go? <laughs> yeah. Are you coughing? Yeah. Check your check your dining table. Yeah. Might be leaking carbon. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's. No, it's obviously not that. What is it? No, carbon leakage refers to this idea that if you're going to introduce a carbon policy in domestically and within a country's borders, like a carbon tax, for example. You need to do something to influence the goods that are coming into your country to make sure that the carbon reduction mechanisms you've got in place don't just push your carbon intensive industries offshore. You know, if you imagine in Australia, we say we had a carbon tax and our energy producers had to pay a carbon tax, which then feeds through into energy prices and to the broader economy. That's all great. So, but that means our producers have, have higher energy costs. Um, they can then go to a, a country that doesn't have a carbon tax and have a competitive advantage because they're not having to pay a carbon tax to produce. Right. So what you've got to do is somehow prevent this carbon leakage, which is what they call it. And typically the way that the mechanism is that you, you have a tariff on that. So if you're importing from uh, a, a country that doesn't have a carbon tax or any carbon measures in place then you can slap a tariff on their goods and say like, well, your producers are ducking the carbon tax and we all need to deal with this carbon story. So you're going to have to pay, you're going to have to pay money to get your, get your goods into the country just to, just yeah, to even okay. out the playing field. No, that makes sense. Are there people opposed to this plan? Is it a plan yet or is it just people talking about? Yeah, the Australians, Australian government. Right. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a fan of this plan. <laughs> really? Why not? Why, yeah, what's yeah. the problem with it? Oh, because we're we're in that story of the country that's not doing anything about carbon. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's us. That's us. I thought we were yeah. going all right. I thought I thought we'd we taken some in a steps. canter, doing it in a canter. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Apparently not. No. The world's not really that impressed with our record on this one. Did we mention we've done really well with the pandemic though? So <laughs> that's good. Yeah, good for us. No, I mean it's 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 a it's it's not a good uh, the the Australian government in its policy position on climate, which is a bit like rubbish in my personal opinion. Um, yeah, it, it's it's it, it means that Australian exporters are going to be slapped with a tariff if they're going to try to export into the into Europe and the US, oh, okay. which is sort of where this conversation is happening at the moment. Right. So Australia's pushing back, and the Trade Minister Dan Tian is saying. Um, a better way is to what do you say something crazy it's like uh, full liberalization of trade and environmental goods and services oh yeah um, and so I think it's this is sort of I guess this is like clean coal and things like this saying so like really it's, you don't want to be taxing your carbon emitters and your polluters what you want to be doing is funding technological solutions to to draw down carbon for example and then exporting those around the world that's that's the Australian government's preferred position uh, because they don't want the mining industry and so on paying lots of money. Can't, we can't do a carbon tax or whatever. So Australia is a bit on the outer with that one and, and 
these sort of measures to fight carbon leakage, which the EU is considering and America is now considering too. Was this coming out of, we talked last week about Janet Yellen and some of the changes that they're mm-hmm. making. Is this kind of part of that same story with, with them sort of saying, you know, we talked about a, a global corporate tax rate, um, this kind of evening of, you know, this notion that the kind of the whole world has to come together to to tackle some of these challenges that, mm. that can be circumvented by, you know, by, by dodging to a different country or, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, there's there, there's there's two big shifts in, in in America through with the Biden administration. The first is that there's recognition of the climate crisis and that we all we've got to do something about it and we're going to take that seriously. So that's a that's a change. Uh, definite change in tone and the second thing is that America is going to re-engage with uh, global institutions and try and take a leadership role in all of this yeah so that's that's coming out of that and that's sort of why I've read the AFR they're talking about Morrison got a frosty reception in Washington because he was seen as sort of a bit of a a Trump light kind of character and both in sort of like style and and policy mix and that's that's now out of favour in, in Washington. So it's it's a challenging time for America for Australia. It does, does seem we've sort of been not that it's a surprise to people like we're talking about like we're lagging the world and and this change was coming. We knew that it, the writing was on the wall. We're, the the global economy needed to decarbonise and mm. that was always going to happen at some point. And <laughs> the writing's yeah, on the it's, wall. It's, the writing's been on the wall for about twenty five years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a lot of debate about what the words actually meant. <laughs> like I remember when, you know, we started talking about, well, in my lifetime at least anyway, you know, we started, I remember hearing about the ozone layer in primary school and the effects and, mm-hmm. you know, what we could do to reduce our impact on climate change and stuff. It's been going on for years and years and years. It's not like, you know, I think it's mm-hmm. a bit of a cop out now for governments to be like, oh, we've been, we've been caught on the hop a bit Ooh. with this. <laughs> <laughs> didn't see that coming <laughs> i really thought this would turn out to not be a thing i really did uh, all right um look let's leave it there you can of course email us anytime and really appreciate your questions uh we have simon and megan this week thanks guys um email us cve at equitymates.com or on the website equitymates.com forward slash cve um, we'd also love it if you could go and give us a rating and a review on itunes that really helps out a lot um, don't forget, you can check out lots of other great podcasts from Equity Mates Media. Get started investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, Meet, Pay, Love. You're in good company. And Thomas, thank you for your company again this week. Oh, thank you. Pleasure. No worries. And we'll talk to you again next time. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.